Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. I don't know if all of what you just saw, um, like registered up here, or if some of it was like kind of over your head. I know there's a lot packed into it. That's the second time I've seen them do that. Um, I don't I guess it's a monologue when there's two people in dialogue. Anyways, whatever. Um, the second time I've seen them do that, and there's more like I'll pick up on that um, are just like just little nuggets that are in scripture. But the, I'm sure that you got the gist of the fact that the bride was the church and the groom is Jesus. And he paid everything for us. He gave his whole life for us so that you guys and so that I could be part of his family. And that's that one family thing that we're dealing with. What's up, dude? You need a chair here? Can you all scoot down one? Thanks. I think that's, he's trying to get your attention. They're trying to pay attention so nobody knows. Anyways, I notice because I'm ADHD, LMNOP. All right, so um, I told you this morning, I think, that we were going to get into chapter three. We're not quite going to get into chapter three yet. We're going to do that tomorrow. We still have some of chapter two left, and um, I was hoping to get into some of the chapter three, but I think we're just going to go through the end of chapter two here. Uh, it's, it's a good news chapter, kind of like this good news uh, of, of Christ coming back of addressing his bride, of addressing the church and being like, hey, I still want you even though you've messed up. Because it'd be very easy for us to kind of look at who we are right now as a church. And I don't mean your individual churches. I'm talking about like the body of Christ as a whole, like Christians as a whole. We're kind of messing it up quite a bit. There were several things Jesus told us to do that we're not really doing. And one of them is making disciples. It was, a, it was a commandment given to every believer to make disciples, and we've kind of given that to the church to do, like the institutional church, like the guy you hire, the pastor and the youth pastor and all that. We're like, oh, you'll do this, and, and if we want to lead somebody to Jesus, we'll invite them to church, and then you can lead them to Jesus instead of us doing it one-on-one, and it's all things that God asked us to do that we're kind of holding back from, and if Jesus came back right now and talked to us, he'd probably have some things to say about it, but what he wouldn't say was, I, I don't want you now. He still wants us, and we left off like the, probably the worst news ever with what was happening with Israel, and he's like, okay, this is going to happen. This, I'm going to ruin your figs. I mean, <laughs> I'm not even a big fan of figs, but he's going to ruin them, and he's going to do all that stuff. And we pick up in verse 14, and then he says this, and it sounds like, like when a husband is dating his future wife, when, when a fiancé or boyfriend is dating his girlfriend and so forth, and he's trying to do things to get her attention. It's called alluring her. It's kind of like luring, like an actual lure when you're fishing. You're using different type of bait to try to get the fish that you want. And it says in verse 14, therefore, this is God talking, right after he said all this stuff, she decked herself with rings and jewelry, went after her lovers, and she forgot me. Then we pick up in this verse. He said, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, I will make the valley of Accor a door of hope, and she will respond to me as she did in the days of her youth, as in the day that she came up out of Egypt. You remember way back when I freed you from slavery? That's what I'm bringing you back to. That's what God's saying. In that day, now check this out. We'll come back to this a little later. So we're really going to unpack this verse in a second. In that day, when I do all that, declares the Lord, you will call, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Just think about that for a second. We're going to go back to that and unpack that. 
I will remove the name of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, the creatures that move along the ground, bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. Betrothal is different than engagement, by the way. Sometimes you get like a modern translation. I'm not against modern translation. This is one of them. Uh, and they'll use the word engage, trying to kind of, you know, be where we're at today. Because nobody's like, I want to betroth unto thee. You know, we don't do that when we're uh, asking somebody to marry us. We just get engaged. Uh, betrothal was like serious. When a guy and girl were betrothed together, if they wanted to end the betrothal, they had to get a certificate of divorce to end the betrothal. If you want to end an engagement, you just say, Mm-mm, I'm done with you. You know, like, yeah, or you're hopefully nicer than that. But like you end the engagement and it's over. You don't have to go to the courthouse and actually get a real divorce, get a lawyer and all that stuff. You had to do that for a betrothal. It was a serious, serious thing. It was a major commitment to say, I want to marry you. Yes, sir. We still do that now? Not for engagements. Yeah, for marriages, yes. I'm saying their engagement, a betrothal was so serious that they had to get a divorce to end that because they were, when a guy and girl were like, yeah, we're gonna get married and a lot of it had to do with their parents picking, but by the first century, when Jesus was walking amongst us, the girl had a lot more say in whether or not she would say yes or no to that, even though the parents were picking. It was a huge, huge thing. And he said, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. And in that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and the olive oil. And they will respond to Jezreel, those who had been scattered and brought back. In other words, I will plant for her myself in the land. I will show my love to the one called not my loved. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. This is the huge trend. And if you read through the rest of Hosea, you'd see this kind of again and again. And we'll see like how bad Gomer got. We're going to pick back up with Gomer and Hosea tomorrow morning. But this is still that picture that Gomer and Hosea were pushing out before the people that they had really gone against God and that God was not done with them. He wasn't like, yeah, I'm writing you off. You have just betrayed me. There are friends that I've had in the past where one of us has wronged the other one and we still aren't friends anymore. You know how bad that is? Like how horrible that is? There's a guy that, uh, that I was friends with. I actually was a pretty rotten kid um, growing up. I was a bully. I, was, I didn't believe in God anyway. I wasn't sure if I believed in God rather, but I was, I was just a ruthless kid to some kids. And there was a guy named Kevin that I always went after, always ridiculed and everything. And after I gave my life to Christ and he changed that part of me, uh, by the end of our high school, before we graduated, we became best friends. And we were closer than anything. He gave me a second chance. He saw that I'd changed and everything. And we worked construction together for about two years. And as we worked construction together, um, he wasn't like the coolest guy in the world, which is probably a reason that I made fun of him in the first place way back. And some other guys started working with us that I kind of wanted to impress. And I did that at the expense of him. Not making fun of him, just kind of ignoring him, kind of distancing myself from him. And then on the weekends, I would hang out with him. My wife and I would hang out with his wife and him. 
And sometimes he'd ask me about work and stuff, and I would just kind of play it off. But when he and his wife started having trouble, and he told me that he was going to divorce her, I got so, as this like 22, 23-year-old Christian, so judgmental of him. Like telling him how, I mean, he had not seen me living it lately, but here I was telling him how wrong he was. He shouldn't, he shouldn't divorce his wife. It's going to ruin our whole four friendship thing. We won't be able to hang out. How are we going to pick who we're going to hang out with? Are we going to hang out with Amanda or hang out with you? Like it's just not going to work. And I drove him away from me unwittingly. And if I could go back and do anything different, in my life, that would be one of those things I'd go back and just tell Kevin, I'm sorry. I've written him long letters. I have messaged him. He won't befriend me on any social media. We do not talk now. I've even become, my wife and I have become friends with his new wife on social media, and I've sent letters through her to give to him, all trying to get back that friendship because I feel horrible about it. Now, fortunately, God's forgiven me. I don't have to try to go back and keep going there and keep going there, but it's something that kind of just haunts me in the back of my mind. That's how we act as people when we wrong each other. But God says, no matter how much you've wronged me, I am never, ever, ever going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to say I don't want you anymore. He gives us that gift. And tonight, we're talking about him redeeming us. He goes from that, that verse 16. Oops, there we go. Let's see if we can throw 16 back up there if you got that. In that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. So many times we get in this mindset that God is this one that we're working for. Now, don't get me wrong. There's things that we were supposed to do, good works he designed for us before the foundations of the world so that people would glorify God in heaven based on seeing the good works we do. They have nothing to do with our salvation. Absolutely nothing to do, not with keeping it, not with getting it, but they're things that will bring other people into the fold. They're things that will help us get closer and closer to the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ that he wants us to have. He gives us a gift, and I want you to imagine I flew this time. Last time I brought, I drove a couple weeks ago, and I brought up like gift baskets and boxes and stuff, and I couldn't take all that on the plane, so we, we gathered some stuff together. So you're gonna have to imagine, use your little imagination for a second, um, and just imagine this is like a, like a really nice wrapped gift, like a Christmas gift or a birthday gift. And we just kind of, uh, it hasn't been that long since Christmas, we had this gift or gifts that you got. And one of the first things that you do is you go tell other people about those gifts, right? When you get back to school, everybody's like, hey, what'd you get for Christmas? They're not like, hey, what'd you eat for Christmas? That's just weird, you know? Hey, what did you wear on Christmas? That's even creepier. Well, we have this onesie sweater, and I mean, uh, onesie thing, it's like a reindeer, you know. No, no, they're just like, what'd you get for Christmas? And everybody starts talking about the different Christmas gifts that they got and sharing that. It's kind of the idea behind the gift of salvation. Saving us from our sin so that we can have a relationship with God. He wants us, I'm going to move this down here actually, because you read from left to right and I'm doing it the opposite way. Um, God gives us this gift so we can tell other people about it. I mean, like, you can't even imagine or fathom what God gave me. It's so cool. 
But it's not like this once and done, rip open the gift, and here you are, ooh, I have some salvation, let me stick salvation on the table. It's a multifaceted gift, and sometimes we don't think about this, about all of the things that God is giving us within the gift of salvation. And so we get really excited when somebody kind of prays a prayer, and they're like, I want in, God forgive me of my sins, I give my life to you, help me be different, and then we kind of leave it there, and then we're excited about that, and we even put, like, we'll put a date in the front of their Bible, or you may even have something like this somewhere at your house, an older Bible that you wrote in, and you're so excited about it. But if we don't continue looking at this gift and opening this gift, we miss out on it. Now, how many of you guys, just by a show of hands, I wish I could go through and ask about each one. We don't have that kind of time. But by a show of hands, you would say, you've given somebody a gift before. That there was a couple different things in the bag or in the box like you put more than one thing in the box. Anybody ever done that before? And how many of you, somebody reached in there at a birthday party or Christmas or whatever, or maybe this is on Valentine's Day for your special person? Anyway, so you reach in there and you, they pulled out something and they start thanking you for it, but you're like, there's more. You ever done that? I've done, that's like the coolest thing, by the way, when, when you get something and there's more. In the bottom. I mean, it might just be fuzzy socks, but it doesn't matter. There's something else in that bag you want to dig down in there. And so there's usually like a thin layer of tissue paper over that that somebody puts and in between each thing and they kind of pull things out. Well, the gift of salvation is not just a box full of salvation, just Christ's blood to cover all of your sins. There are several things in this box. Now, I'm going to pull out several boxes that are part of the gift of salvation for us to kind of unpack. And when I say theologically, I know it's like, theologically, are we really going there? It just means the study of God, that we get to know God better. That's all theology is, because theos means God, and ology is always attached to everything boring. But this is about God, so it's awesome. So like biology and cosmetology, that's like makeup, right? Anyways, you know, all the ologies. Theology is just the study of God. And so there's several different things in here. I've got different shaped boxes simply because, don't read into it, simply because these were the boxes that we had available back here. There's no difference in the size. You'd be like, ooh, Nate's saying that this gift of such and such is better than, no, I'm not. It's just, a, it just happens to be a different size box, all right? And so you've got several different boxes there. The first box that I'm gonna pull out is this box of justification. It is like a shoebox. It had the carrot in it. It's not there anymore. Okay, so you got this gift. There's just empty boxes now for the most part. Okay, so you got this box here. It's the first gift. Again, imagine it's wrapped in everything. You've got this, next, this nice thing. You open up the box, and you're like, there's another box inside, and another one, and another one. You know, like, that's the fun thing to do to people, too. And then at the inside, there's just instructions on where to go find the real present. Ah. Anyway, so something I've done. This is justification, and justification is a big theological word, but we're going to break it down real easy. When you've been justified, when I've been justified, it's just if I'd never sinned. That's how you break justified down. It's justified, never sinned. God erases everything. I didn't get a white box on purpose, but it's kind of like a blank slate. He erases everything and says, I do not see you as sinful anymore. I see you as forgiven. It's the acquittal that a judge would give when he's like, okay, you are now free to go, not guilty. That's the not guilty verdict that God lays down. Now, this doesn't make somebody like start acting better. 
It really doesn't. People are like, you know, I just got freed by Jesus, totally forgiven of all my sins, and now I must talk of holy things. You know, no, that's not the way it works. We ha- it takes a long time for things to happen because there's more gifts in the box than that. Not, not just justification. If I paid off all your debts, if you owed somebody 50 bucks and I gave them the 50 bucks, it doesn't mean that you're going to know how to handle money better now. You're probably going to borrow 50 bucks again that you can't pay back. There's a process where you, you would become better at managing money. Same thing when it comes to sin. There's another box in here. Now, normally, there's three boxes in salvation. If you ever follow, you know, Chronicles of Narnia, the guy C.S. Lewis who wrote this, um, he also wrote a lot of theology stuff. And he said that there is, and this is kind of basically agreed on by theologians, that there's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Those are not all the ones I have in the box there. Justifications when you're freed, sanctifications when you're getting better, and glorifications when you're perfect in heaven. I didn't include glorification in here because it's not something that you actually unwrap in the box this side of eternity. So we're not going to talk about it as much, but yes, one day you'll get a new body and you'll be with Jesus forever. The, the gifts I have are ones you can actually use in this life. It's not just justification. The next one is adoption. And I, it's just a plain old box. But anyways, this is adoption. And here's the thing about adoption. God says he wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to make you a part of his family. So you might think, isn't that the same thing as justification? I'm free, so now I'm in Christ. No, it's not the same. When the judge says to you, what's your name right on the front row, dude? Yeah, you. Yeah. No, you. What's your name? Well, I can't remember it right offhand because now you're putting me on the spot. Now I'm embarrassed for you. Okay, what's your name? Josh, you had to think about that, but that's okay. I'll put you on the spot. So Josh, if Josh had committed a crime and I'm the judge and I say he's free to go, he's not guilty, Josh can just leave, right? And now he's, that's justification. But if I go a step further and say, Josh, I actually heard, and this isn't actually true of Josh, I don't know Josh's background. I said, Josh, I actually heard that you actually don't have a family. I don't just want you to be free from this sin. You can come live at my house. You can be one of my sons. You and me, buddy. Against the world. And Josh is like, whoa, that's different. Normally a judge is just like, okay, you're free to go. This takes it a step further in that you're not just free to go. You're not just not guilty. I want you to be my kid. Now, a judge doesn't do that every day. I've been in court quite a bit with students who have done stupid things, and I go to court with them and sit. I was there last week in court listening to a bunch of stupid things that a bunch of kids had done. Even a kid I knew there where I was like, oh my goodness, what is he doing here? Because I know he's kind of like a troublemaker, doesn't go to my church, he goes to a teen center I volunteer at. I never got to find out what he did because the judge cleared the courtroom. Whatever he did was so bad, I couldn't even sit in there for it. If I came back in and they were hugging, because I know this for a fact, this kid doesn't have a dad in his life. Part of the journey he's taken. If I came into the judge and this kid and Manny were embracing and crying. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what did I miss? Guilty or not? Not only is he not guilty, the judge is going to adopt him. They're bringing another judge in to kind of do the paperwork, and they've got the, I'll be like, whoa, whoa, back it up. Was, did anybody film this? That's what I would want to know. That's what God does for us. But not only that, God loves you too much to leave you the way that he found you. So he does something called sanctification. Sanctification 
is the process of making somebody holy. To sanctify something means to set it holy. To make it holy, to make something holy is to set it apart for different use. It's not saying, ooh, look at them, they never mess up. It's just saying, I'm going to help you not to be sinless, but to sin less. That's what sanctification is. Okay, so check this out. This is the box where you pull out of there and you start looking in it and they're like, wait a minute, there's more. There's actually two gifts within sanctification. There's the position of being sanctified and then there's progressive sanctification. Now here's what the position of being sanctified is. It means, I know these look like Jack Mavericks, but they just look like Jack Mavericks. He was wearing them when I found these. Anyway, so, and it's missing the little black thing. Probably left over from a stunt from another week. God says, I'm willing to look at you from here on out. This is going to sound a lot like justification, but I'll break it down in a second. He says, I'm going to look at you through a different lens. I see you as perfect. I see you as righteous. I see you as holy. I see you as sanctified. Same thing, righteous, holy. I see you as perfect, even though you're not. So when the enemy says, or when you, when you say to yourself, oh, God can't love me, I do this, or I do this, or I chase those thirsts we talked about last night with those bottles, or this morning, rather, I chase that one, or I do this, or I do this, or I do this, or I look at the wrong things on the internet, or whatever it is, God says, no, 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 no. If you've given yourself to me, I not only acquitted you and made you not guilty, I not only brought you into my very family to make you part of this one family, but now, even though you still do stupid things, because we're people, Nate especially, I don't see it. I see perfection. Now, as a Christian, now this is going to sound deep for a second. I don't mean it to. As a Christian... When I mess up, I usually ask God's forgiveness as a Christian. I can't find anything in the Bible that supports my need to get forgiveness a second time from Jesus, who's already forgiven me of all my sin, past, present, and future. Follow me here for a second. I still do it because I've been kind of trained to do it. What I'm essentially doing is repenting. I'm saying I'm facing the wrong direction and I'm not effective as a believer. So I will turn, repentance means a 180, a turn. I will turn and follow Jesus because I'm more effective that way. Not to get forgiven again for something God's already forgiven me for, but to be effective and walk for him. I know that might sound like, wait, what are you saying? We don't need to, I'm saying repentance is necessary. Every time we fall, we need to get back up and keep following Jesus, but he sees you as forgiven and righteous and holy and pure and perfect if you're a believer. Now, does that mean I don't have to do anything because God already sees me that way? He wants you to be effective. And in order not to face the wrong direction and face the right direction and follow him so that he can continue to do things in you, scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and everything is becoming new. He does this. He takes basically, this is slime, but just pretend it's Play-Doh. I couldn't find any Play-Doh back there, and I meant to bring that on the plane with me. If this is Play-Doh, there's some things about it that you need to know. When you pull it out of the can, it's already shaped a certain way. It's conformed to the image of the can. It can be molded into a lot of different things. It needs to be kept moist. You can't let it dry out or you won't be able to use it anymore. There's things that have to happen in order for it to be 
transformed into the new shape it needs to be. And scripture tells us not to be conformed any longer to the image of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is what God does in us. It's progressive sanctification. It's something where we get, we sin a little bit less, even though we're not sinless. And we look a little bit more like Jesus than we did the week before and the month before that and the year before that for the rest of our life, never arriving this side of heaven because the next thing is glorification where you get that new body on the other side. Never arriving this side of heaven, God continuing to do amazing things in your life. He sees you that way and he wants you to be able to become that way, but not to become that way so that you can be acquitted because you're not acquitted based on what you do and what you look like. You're acquitted and made not guilty based on everything that he did. Your forgiveness is not contingent on you. It has nothing to do with you, with you saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work better, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna be better. She said this up here in this wedding gown that was tattered and torn and everything. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna clean myself up. It is not what God's calling you to do to clean yourself up. He's calling us to be willing to let him clean us up. And if we'll accept his forgiveness, then we'll be brought into his family. And when we're brought into his family, not only does he see us differently, but he starts to actually work with us and make us more like his son. That's his promise to us. And too many of us see God as this guy in the stands, this dad in the stands. And literally, I was at a basketball game about a month ago now, a couple weeks before I came last time, had a basketball game. When this guy who was sitting somewhat near me, but not enough for me to like call him down for this. It's a little loud in the gym, but it got really quiet in this moment. His son is on my son's team and he had thrown away about three passes in a row. Now this kid's not my son. And I was thinking, come on, dude, you are killing us. Coach, take him out. I believe I muttered that under my breath to my wife. Why won't he take him out? Like, he's killing us. The game's really close. We need this kid not to throw passes to the audience. It'd be great if we could throw them to the other players. You know, the ones wearing the same tank top. That would be nice. That's what I was thinking in my head. But again, not his dad. If it was my kid, I'd be like, oh, come on, man. Luke, you got this. It's all right, dude. Keep going. That's not what his dad did. He stood up at a time where it kind of got quiet and they're getting ready to pass it in. He's like, come on, Aiden, you're killing me. Embarrassing. Everyone in the crowd stopped and kind of looked at this horrible father. Because that's what we're all thinking. We're not like, yeah, you tell him. I was thinking that before, like, yeah, coach, get him out of the game. I wasn't like, yeah, coach, listen to his dad. You know, all of a sudden I hurt for this kid. Because that's not the heart of a father. It's not, I don't think he meant it. He looked kind of like, oh no, did I say that out loud? He had that look on his face. And too many of us view God as that parent who watches us mess up and says, aha, I knew it. You're always doing this. You're like Gomer going back to your old lovers. You, you're always falling. You're always messing up. Embarrassing. But he doesn't do that. He's that dad who sees you fall in the soccer field, who sees you fall in the basketball court. He's that dad who sees you not doing as well and tripping in that race and who says, come on, you got this. Get up, buddy. You've got this. Go, go, go. You know, you're cheering for them over and over again. That's the dad I want to be, but that's the dad he already is because he's rooting for you. He is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone, everyone would come to repentance. 
that everyone would come to the point in their life where they would say, my sin is something I can't deal with on my own. Jesus has already paid the penalty for my sin. I'm going to accept that gift. That's the thing about gifts. If somebody doesn't show up, somebody doesn't reach out for it, that gift's still there. I've got a brother-in-law that's going through a whole bunch of junk, substance abuse, things like that, and there was a gift sitting under our tree for, you know, until we took the tree down. He didn't show up on Christmas, therefore, he didn't get the gift. I don't even have a way to get a hold of him. He's constantly getting fired from jobs. He's constantly getting picked up by the police. He's constantly, we don't even know where he lives right now. He was invited. We invited him through social media, not even sure if he had seen it, but he didn't come. We had bought him a gift. It stayed under the tree. Can you imagine how many gifts are under the tree or how many wedding gifts are out for the wedding that's supposed to happen when God invites us into his family that people just say, you know, that's good. I'm good where I'm at. I've got enough gifts. I don't need to open anymore. I don't need to open anymore. My daughter one time, she was like four years old and we were going through the Christmas gifts and she loved this doll that she opened to where I'm like, you want to open another one? Another gift? And she was like, no. And she ran out of the room with her doll. She was like totally fine with what she had. And we can be like that as people. Like I kind of like being in charge of my own life. I kind of like doing my own thing. And I, I think this process of molding me and transforming me to be more like your son, that's going to be kind of a painful thing because there's things I don't want to give up. The other stuff sounds okay, but I'm not, I'm not in because I don't want who I am to change. And a gift, a multifaceted, hey, there's more in the box type gift gets left under the tree that was meant for you. Maybe you, you've come in this weekend and you've never made a decision to follow Christ. I want to be very, very clear about what we're about to do next. Because what I see happen at youth events a lot is you give somebody an opportunity to give their life to Jesus and somebody in the room is dealing with something completely different than that. They're already a follower of Jesus who've just been messing up lately, who needs to turn away from where they're facing and face Jesus and, and, and walk in the forgiveness that they have and repent of their sin and walk towards Jesus. But they'll stand up anyway, or they'll raise their hand, or they'll come forward, or whatever the pastor's asking them to do because they feel guilty and they want to do something and they want to make a decision for God. Other people, like their grandma, might have just got diagnosed with something, and they're just feeling that emotion, feeling that moment, or, or, or all their friends around them are kind of feeling that emotion, feeling that moment, so they all stand up and stuff. And this, this is not about that. This is not about that at all. You don't want to get so, so excited that you reach out and you take a gift that what, you know, you've already opened before. You'd be like, oh, it's, I already have this. You know, that's just weird. So this invitation is going to be twofold invitation. The first part for people who have not taken the gift of salvation before, and for the rest of you who are like, you know what, there's stuff I'm doing right now I shouldn't be doing that I need to give over to God and stop trying to rule my own life and face the right direction, continue following Jesus. The second part's going to be for you. So don't get confused and stand up and be like, yeah, I need to talk to God right now. I need to deal with this stuff. If you know that you've given your life to Jesus, you've accepted your free gift of, of salvation, then he has justified you. You've been placed in his family and he sees you as righteous now. He sees you as the righteousness of Christ. You might think, where are you getting that from? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he became our sin for us who never knew any sin so you could become the righteousness of Christ. In other words, he says, give me your sin, I'll give you my perfection. So he puts those glasses on and he sees you different. A lot of us have not allowed the Holy Spirit to do this in us, to start 
taking us out of the can and transforming us to the image of Christ. We've pulled back on that. We've kind of fought that. And you're not able to meet your full potential and the purpose God has for you because you have not allowed him to do that. And you're just fine with being his kid and fine with being forgiven and fine with him looking at you as different. Or some of you have a problem with the glasses and you're like, I don't get that hole in that. I mean, I hear the analogy, but I really think God's probably angry with me right now. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not following Jesus properly. And you think of him as that dad yelling at the kid. And I promise you he's not. He's rooting for you. The disappointment isn't in you. It's in all the lies and the enemy and the flesh and the world that is keeping you from allowing him to transform you. That's what he's upset about. And he longs to make you new. So if you've got an issue, especially with this box, with one of these things, if seeing yourself is forgiven and embracing that forgiveness, or of allowing God to actually make you new, to do new things in you so other people will be drawn to him and notice that there's a gift there for them as well, then the second part of the invitation is gonna be for you. This first part's gonna be for those who've never accepted that free gift of salvation, the multifaceted, there's more in the box type of gift. Would you guys bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And I know some of you, this may have not have been something that God's speaking to you or you've been kind of pushing that away, thinking I'm not going to let God do that like I was at your age. That's fine. I would just ask that you don't distract anybody else around you because this might be the most important moment in somebody's life. So everybody out there, wherever you're at, close your eyes, bow your heads. I just want to see the tops of heads, not eyeballs, because I want to have a serious conversation with you. And it's going to be a private conversation for some people. So right where you're at, if you can just close your eyes, do me that favor. I promise nobody's going to prank you or anything. I'm just, this is just to block out distractions, okay? If you're here tonight and you'd say, Nate, I've never accepted that free gift of forgiveness from God. That salvation that has all those gifts you just talked about, I haven't even, I haven't even opened the box. I might go to church. I might be involved in youth. I might come to events. But I've been in charge of my whole life, and it's been the whole time. I've never come to the point where I've asked God for forgiveness and accepted his free gift of grace and salvation that he purchased for me on the cross. If that's you, and you'd say, that's me, I've never done that, Nate, then I simply want you to do something, and I'm going to ask you to do this, knowing that there's other people who will feel tempted to look, don't do that, okay? If you'd say, that's me, Nate, I simply want you, and only you, there could be one of you, there could be 20 of you, I have no idea, no way of knowing, I simply want you to make eye contact with me so I can see who God's dealing with and I can have a conversation with you, okay? Nobody else look except for those people. And if you do look, keep looking at me. I wanna to talk to you for a second. All right, I see you right here and here and back there and right here and you and you, and you guys right here. There's several of you way back there. If I don't point at you for some reason, that doesn't mean God doesn't see you because he absolutely sees you. I'm gonna walk back here a little bit. But don't look up to see who's looking. That's not important. It's only important if God's talking to you specifically right now. He's tugging at your heart. You might think, what does it mean God's talking to me? If he's tugging at your heart and you're like, you know what? I feel, I know that I've never done that. And right now, that's what I'm being drawn to. I would like to not leave here not having that gift of salvation. Now, those of you looking at me, I want to be clear again. If you've already done this, this, ne this next part I'm going to do later is for you. This part right here is important for those who have never believed on Christ. 
So the next part of what I'm going to ask you to do, it might sound a little hard, it's a little bit more bold, but for those of you who are serious about it and you're like, you know what, I'm ready to follow Christ, I want him to do these things in me and I want to be ultimately transformed to be more like him, to live out who he created me to be in the first place. Then on the count of three, and there's nothing special about three, it's just kind of a launch point, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If that's you, don't stand because somebody around you stands. I saw a few people look at me who happened to be sitting next to somebody else. I didn't see you elbow each other to get each other's attention or anything. But don't stand because somebody else does. Count the cost. Take up your cross and follow him. Are you willing to give Jesus the rest of your life? He gave you the rest of his. Are you willing to say, now I'm going to put you on the throne. I'm going to make you in charge of this thing and accept this free gift? There's more in the box type gift. Now on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Nobody else is going to look around. We will look around eventually and celebrate with you. So if that's too much for you, I'm just going to let you know in advance. If it's too much that people see you make this commitment, and you're like, that's kind of embarrassing, then absolutely stay seated. You're probably not ready to turn everything over to Jesus if it's, that, if it's embarrassing to you. He wants it all. Not your Sunday morning, not five minutes every morning to read through the Bible. He wants your life. He paid for it, and he loves you. This is your moment to step into that family. So if that's you on the count of three, I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet with nobody else looking around. One, two, three, stand to your feet if that's you. Okay, those of you standing, I'm not going to prolong it or anything. Look at me right here. If you're standing, I want you to look at me for a second. We're going to take a moment to pray and to start this relationship with God. I'm not asking you to repeat words that I'm going to say. I'm just going to give you a few moments to tell God what's on your heart. Basically, if you give him your sin, he'll give you his son. If you're willing to ask forgiveness of your sin, he is willing to start this relationship with you. You give him your sin, you give him your life. I don't care how you word that. You can thank him for dying on the cross. You could say, God, I need you. You could say, I, I, I need you to forgive me of sin. I want to live for you forever. You could even use the old terminology of come live in my heart, even though that just pumps blood, or whatever you want to say. But it's all about whether you turn from your sin and give your life to Jesus that matters. And use your own words. I don't want you 20 years from now to look back and say, I wonder if I repeated the words correctly or, or if Nate put them in the right order. It's not about that. It's the attitude of your heart. And God sees to your heart and knows what you're doing. So right where you're at, just to block out distractions, close your eyes. Take the next few moments to turn your life over to our Savior. When you finish doing that, I just want you to look back up at me so I can tell when you're done.
Just a reminder, not a rush, though, that when you're done, you can look up at me. Okay. I think that's everybody. So cool. So excited to welcome you into the family of God. You stepped onto that bus and said, if you're adopting, I want to I be in this family. I want to be a part of one family. The rest of you guys, if you could look up and celebrate with them. I think that's awesome. Here's our responsibility. If you're friends with one of these people, one of the biggest dampers that are put on moments like this is saying, I thought you were already a Christian. And they're like, oh, well, uh, you know. Um, you can say, hey, why did you stand up tonight to your friend? Be bold about it. Why, why did you stand up? And you be bold about why you stood up and let them know what decision you made tonight and help them through that. But your goal and your job is to help them grow in their faith so that they don't just get to the glasses stage, they start being molded to be like the image of, of God. So you guys who are standing and girls, you can have a seat real quick. Here's the second part of that invitation. Those of you who are believers, and we're not gonna prolong this, it's gonna be pretty quick. I wanna be able to pray over you and pray for you while you're praying as well. If you're in here, and we're not gonna close our eyes for this part, you're in here, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you have opened that gift of salvation, you've been justified, adopted into his family, but there's something here. Either you just really didn't get God's love for you and you wanna embrace that and believe God has good things for you, or you have not allowed God to do the changes that he needs to make in you, or you, maybe you're even further back than that. You get that you're forgiven, but you don't see yourself as a son or daughter. Like You just don't embrace that, and this one family thing has really drove those those points home for you where you kind of get it, wow, I'm really in this thing. If you're one of the, you're, you've got a hitch at somewhere along the way and you'd like to say, not anymore. It's a thirst I'm chasing. It's something I want to embrace. I want to ask God to do something new in me and to grow me, or I need to ask God to help me to walk away from something and face the right direction again. But if that's you as a believer in here, you'd say something's holding me back from either getting what God has for me or something's trying to pull me away from God. And I don't want that to happen anymore. Then right where you are with no counting or anything, just stand to your feet. Say, that's me. And right where you're at, in your own words, you can tell God why you're standing. He already knows. You can verbalize that and say, God, I don't want that thing to pull me away anymore. I, don't, I want you to help me with that. I need to find other people who can help me with that too. I want to embrace the fact that you want to change me. I want to do this. I don't, whatever that is for you. But let me pray for you as you pray, right in the silence of your heart as well. God, I thank you so much for these guys and girls possibly even adults who are standing right now, Lord, there are so many bumps and roots and ravines on the road to walking with you that we, we tend to keep tripping in. Lord, whatever the reason somebody's standing now, all of them are saying, I want you to be in charge 100%. And these things that easily entangle, the things that pull at us, God, we need them off of us because we've got a dad in the stands cheering us on, saying, get up, my daughter, get up, my son, we've got this. I'm in this with you. Thank you for the forgiveness we have in you. Lord, help us to practice repentance on a daily basis, to constantly turn from the other things that could hold us back from you, to take up our cross and follow you so that others may be drawn to you as well, Lord. 
Help us to take the gift back and say, let me tell you about the best gift I ever got and to share it with somebody else who has yet to know you. Thank you for those who were redeemed tonight, who you bought back tonight with the death of your son and with your resurrection, proving you had power over sin and death. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.